Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassink, and I'm the Medical Director for the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight at the American Academy of Pediatrics. In this conversation, I am joined by Jennifer Groves, who is a lead physician for the 521 Healthcare Projects at United Way of Central Iowa and the Iowa Medical Society. Today, we're discussing the importance of weight for length measurements in our youngest patients, its importance in early obesity prevention, and how to know when to intervene, and more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, Jen, I'm so glad you could be with me today to talk about a very special group of patients, um, our, our littlest patients, our infants and young children, and how we measure their growth and track their growth. And um, I wanted to just start by asking you, um, we track weight for length, and why, why are we doing that and why is it important in primary care? I'm excited to be with you today, and um, this is a great topic, I think, to, to talk about. Um, you know, we track weight for length um, because the rate at which children grow is really important at all ages, and especially in their youngest um, phases of their life. And so we track weight and length and talk to families about what it means uh, to look at a growth chart and what we're looking for when we're looking at those growth charts. And we really talk to them about where those measurements are falling on those growth curves and what that growth curve tells us about that child's risk of developing um, certain health conditions. You know, I remember when I first started plotting weight for length, um, it, it was easy to plot the weight on the weight curve for the um, first to 24 months and the length. And then when I turned the paper over and saw that weight for length chart, sometimes that seemed a little daunting. Um, are you uh, are you finding that uh, people are easily plotting the weight for length or you have to do a little training in clinic? I think that we are really fortunate to have the electronic health record that does much of that. Um, that used to be such a manual task. And I think that it's actually easier than it used to be because um, now we, especially in those older kids, I'm so used to looking at their weight and then their length and then their BMI. It's just kind of an automatic process that when I'm looking and working with younger children, it's, it's really a parallel process. So it's the weight, the length, and then the weight for length. And so I think that it's gotten easier as time's gone on. You know, I'm so glad to hear that. And um, just as a reminder that um, although the WHO growth charts come with BMIs for children under two, that the CDC is still recommending that we plot weight for length on the WHO charts for children under two. And to know that, that because we focus so much on BMI for older children, um, that the weight for length has just rolling into that practice for the younger kids is, is reassuring. Um, how do you integrate that uh, measuring and reporting out into your workflow in clinic? So I think that um, when we're sitting down with families and they're always interested to know where that child falls on that growth chart, that that's usually a process that the providers in our clinics go through with the families. We talk about where their weight is and what the percentile means, and then we move on to the length chart. And then on the weight for length chart, I'll talk about um, 
this tells me how your child's percentage is, uh, is tracking on their percentiles when we're comparing their weight for their length. And if it's elevated, um, I kind of talk about how do you think, the next question is what do you think about how your child is growing? And that gives me a point, uh, a pause to figure out does the family feel like their child is growing adequately, inadequately, uh, or, or too quickly? And a lot of times it's surprising um, to learn where that family feels that child, um, how they're doing on that growth chart. And so that pause and that ask about how they feel like their child is doing on the growth chart or how they're doing with their growth um, has really been helpful for me to kind of meet the families where they're at and then know where to start the conversation moving forward. You know, that's so important to get um, the families involved right away. Uh, we know that a lot of uh, families look around at the, their child and the other uh, infants and young children they see, and uh, we, they may feel that their baby is growing uh, absolutely normally when we might, we're worried that the uh, weight for length is above the 95th percentile. Um, so we know that families may have a, a different read on it than, than we will, and it's really important, as you said, to get them involved right away. And we know that um, there, there's a real concern, just as we look at the BMI of children above the 95th percentile and know that they are at risk um, for obesity, they have obesity, they're at risk for later obesity. We know that children who um, had a weight per length greater than the 95th percentile when they were six months old um, also had a weight per length um, greater than the 95th percentile at the 24 months old. They were more likely to, to maintain that high weight per length. So we know that looking early is really important to try to assess what the family's uh, perception of the weight is, and also um, what's going on in that little uh, child's life. Exactly, that's really important information to share with the family, as you mentioned, that link between where they're at in the growth chart and the impact that it could have on their health. And I think that that, um, that part of the conversation is when you really can connect with that family around how do we keep um, those children healthy um, and that lends itself nicely into the conversation about what things we can do to build healthy habits to keep that child um, from developing those comorbidities that we worry about. How do you find, Jen, when you start that conversation and you start talking about later health problems, how are you finding your families responding to that? I think that um, when we're looking at the growth chart, um, um, every family wants the best for their child. And so when you can really connect with them and meet them where they are about where they feel like their child is as far as their growth and understand their perspective, um, and then it's easier to gauge how to approach the conversation about next steps. And so um, a lot of times when I'm looking at the growth chart, like I mentioned, we say, um, I talk to them about where the child's at the growth chart, what are your thoughts about how your child is growing? And then I tell them that there's some information about how they're, where they're at in the growth chart can relate to what um, health risks they may have as they get older. And it can, if they're weight for length, as if it persists in this range, it can put them at risk for type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, kidney and liver problems. Is there anyone in your family that has any of those conditions? And that, 
um, gets them thinking about their family history, and then I think shifts that focus away from that growth chart and the classification to really their health. And once they start to think about, yes, my mom has type 2 diabetes, I've been told I've got prediabetes, they start to realize that they want to make changes to be able to prevent this experience, same experience for their child, and they're really open to having those discussions um, in a way that before I started approaching the conversations in that method, it wasn't received quite as well. So that's been really helpful for me in my practice and in my experience. Jen, you just said two extremely important things. Um, the shift from the curve, you're explaining the curve, which is important to health implications of the curve, and then the shift from the general health implications of that curve to the specific family history and specific potential concerns of that family. And I think those two shifts away, you know, from the growth chart that you're looking at to health concerns to the specific family history and concerns of the family are really important because now you have the family really understanding that you're concerned about the child's health, but you're concerned about their individual situation and their individual child. And you now have personalized um, this discussion. And I think that's, I just want to emphasize that because I think that's so important to families. We hear over and over again that the families uh, want to have an individualized, personalized discussion. And uh, I think those two shifts are, are really worth um, focusing on and remembering. Um, I have a question because often I would ask my families just to go through their day um, as a way of uh, understanding their, their eating and feeding schedules, their potential, you know, tummy time or activity, um, the different caretakers. Uh, are, do you find that that's helpful to you as well, or do you have another way to kind of gain that information? I think that's extremely helpful, especially in those younger children when you're seeing that they're crossing percentiles, taking pause, and, and taking the time to kind of, what does your a day in your child's life look like? Who's um, doing the feedings? Where? Who's in the home when they're getting the feedings? Um, are they attending daycare or are they being um, taken care of by a grandparent? All of those things are really important and it's so variable, um, the responses and then kind of the information that I think families find most useful in their individualized situations. So that is an approach that I found really helpful as well. I think that in older kids using a questionnaire such as the Healthy Habits questionnaire or like the family nutrition and physical activity questionnaire can be really helpful. But in this younger age categories, um, I don't know that we've got um, great questionnaires that have been validated to this point, but I think they're coming. Um, and so I'm excited for that point to be able to help streamline that process as well. You know, I was always surprised um, when a family would begin to go through their day um, that sometimes they were surprised at what was happening in their child's day when they reflected on uh, maybe the family uh, uh, or child care provider and what uh, food that they were giving the, the baby or child and what was happening with grandma. And so I think um, for the family often that period of reflection on what is actually going on each day also seemed to be helpful um, as a way of getting um, them aware of the whole situation and kind of emphasizing um, their role as being sort of the captain of that ship of what was happening to their baby. So 
um, I also found it very, uh, very helpful. So when you begin to, to think about uh, this approach, and maybe you've asked the parent about the day of the, the child, how are you um, focusing on what, to, what items to key in on in that individual child situation? I think that it's really variable. Um, sometimes during the course of the discussion, uh, some low-hanging fruit or some things that might be easier to address and better received by families kind of come to light. And so we'll address those issues first. Um, and sometimes I'll ask families about, are there certain things about your um, routines or your family or your child's nutrition that you feel like you would like to focus or have questions about? And so sometimes asking that family if they have ideas is helpful as well. So do you have a, a thoughts about um, some of the important things that you've sort of observed in talking to these uh, families of young children that might be frequent um, issues for them or areas where they want to focus or uh, are, are areas that pay off uh, to focus on when you're talking about rapid weight gain? Absolutely. I think that one of the resources I found most helpful when I started to think more about how do I help families earlier than that two-year-old period was um, the building a foundation for healthy active living on the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight website. And a lot of those mini modules were really helpful in kind of helping me think through really practical ways that I could um, engage families in these discussions. And one of the things that really stuck with me were that there were these key periods of time where I think it, there's some great anticipatory guidance that can be really helpful at families as far as getting ahead of issues. And so, you know, thinking about talking to families about responsive feeding right away at that two-week visit as because I won't be seeing them until they're two months. And so talking about those hunger and society cues and how do they soothe their baby in other ways if, um, if, if it's not hunger. Um, and then also getting ahead of that conversation about start starting solids. So mentioning that we usually recommend starting solids at the two-month visit um, because many families are starting to hear that their child should start to eat, eat solids um, at four months. And so how do I help give them that information sooner so that by the time I see them at four months, they haven't already started down that road? Um, and so really thinking about those key periods of time that I can help give families information when it's timely um, and can help um, get that child started on those healthy habits. Talking about starting um, family meals kind of at that six-month period of time and thinking about, you know, even though your child's going to be eating pureed foods for the next few months, um, it's really a great time to get, um, take the time to think about what your family's eating because Soon your child's going to be not only um, watching and saying things that you're saying, but doing what we're doing as well. And so how can we optimize our nutrition that we as an entire family are, are taking in? Because that's what our child's going to be starting to eat when we're nine months. So I think those key periods have really been helpful for me in engaging my families around these topics. You know, that's, it's uh, so important. And there's actually been a few studies that have showed that that emphasis on responsive uh, feeding and parenting um, actually uh, minimized the uh, amount of children that uh, had rapid weight gain. And, uh, you know, min uh, minimizing the use of feeding uh, for non-hunger-related fussiness, 
responding to hunger and satiety cues, and uh, self-soothing to sleep were all things that in studies have shown that that responsive approach uh, does help to uh, reduce that rapid weight gain. What, what about, Jen, what about the child you're seeing and um, maybe they're nine months old and they're, they're above the 95th percentile for uh, weight or height. Um, we don't have an official definition of obesity in children uh, under two, but that's an, uh, a range where we're certainly becoming concerned. Um, what, what things have you seen that uh, are, are common that people are doing that might be uh, targets for intervention? I think that sometimes when we transition off of the pureed foods and onto table foods, I think that the fruit and veggie consumption, in my experience, seems to go down. And I think that it's, um, in part, it is maybe due to concerns about choking hazards. Um, and so the Institute on Healthy Childhood Weight just um, also has a great new finger foods poster, which I think has been really helpful. And, giving parents and families ideas about how can I prepare fresh fruits and vegetables in a way that's safe and I'm comfortable um, offering them to my younger child. And so I think one, the fruit and veggie consumption is something that's important. One, making sure families are being mindful of that they're incorporating those fruits and veggies in their own diet so they're modeling good behaviors. And then two, how do we give them tools to know how to prepare them in a safe way for their, um, for their younger um, child as well. The other thing is the introduction of beverages beyond um, formula. So sometimes um, families will be introducing juices at that period. And so making sure that I'm ahead of the curve and telling families about the recommendation to delay um, offering juices to children until they're at an older age as well. Jen, I was, uh, I'm always surprised um, when I see data on sugar sweetened beverages in very young children. And I think that we, we all need to remember that those beverages sneak in. And, and in fact, uh, uh, data would show that by nine months old, the child is eating um, just like the family, less portions, but in the same patterns that the family is eating. So uh, we know that uh, fruit and vegetable consumption goes down and, and sugar beverage consumption goes up, as, as might um, some of the other um, snack foods uh, go up in their little, in their lives. Um, there are some convenience foods that parents uh, like to use, um, little packets of food and, and pouches of food. Um, do you have any feelings about uh, how you're dealing with, you know, that semi-solid uh, food in pouches or the little snack packages? Uh, any counseling that you give parents about that? Yeah, that's a great topic to uh, talk about as well. I do think that that convenience and that snacking um, behavior really comes out around nine months. Um, they move from the little puffs, and then a lot of times they have a lot more of the snacky um, crackers in their diet. And so a lot of times talking about the importance of getting kids used to a variety of flavors and making sure that snack time often includes a fruit or vegetable as well, um, and that's a great time, I think, to introduce it. And parents are really interested on how they can um, offer those, those more healthy snacks at that young age as well. So um, do you have any cases at the top of your mind where you uh, noticed something and intervened and, and uh, can talk to us a little bit about how that went for you? Yeah, so I have a, 
had a child in my office, um, a Hispanic patient, um, who around nine to 12 months, he started to notice that the weight for length curve was in um, percentile was increasing. And during the course of the conversation um, and the visit, um, we realized that uh, grandma was providing much of the care for the child and um, planning many of the meals and taking care of the child throughout the day. Um, and she had um, been introducing uh, Gatorade and a bottle to that child. And so um, we were able to talk to grandma about the importance because some of the older kids had been involved in some activities, sports activities, and had started to drink Gatorade. And um, she had felt like it was helpful for them for their sports activities and so thought that it would be helpful for the child as well. And so really was interested in what's healthiest for my child and open to the suggestion of perhaps not offering Gatorade in a bottle. And it was really interesting to see the, the impact that that had because um, by the next visit, we could see that there was flattening of that curve um, in that very short time frame. And so it's interesting how many calories children can consume in, um, in those sugar-sweetened beverages and parents are not aware of, of the consequences. You, you bring up such an important point and that also uh, helps us focus on the role of the extended family and making sure that we understand what all the caregivers' approaches to infant feeding are, and there, there may be many different approaches um, within one family um, and one caregiving circle around that child. And I think it's really important to, to try to understand what each of the players is, is thinking and doing. And as you said, the families really care about the children, and Grandma was thinking she was doing something that would be helpful. So um, it's important to just uh, approach uh, with a, a calm, non-judgmental attitude about what everybody is doing and uh, try to get everyone in the family and caregiving circle on the same page. Um, any other cases that might come to mind about something that you noticed and, and uh, intervened with? I think the other case was a, a child that we saw increasing Again, shortly after introduction of solid foods, um, and by a year, it became clear that um, as they transitioned off of the um, baby foods and the fruits and vegetables from that, there wasn't um, a continued offering of fruits and vegetables. And so the diet became um, more of kind of a grazing pattern and more of the higher snack foods. And so we were able to talk to that family about um, opportunities to include you know, set meal times so that the child would be hungry at meal times, and then introducing discrete snack periods halfway between those meals that included a fruit and vegetable. And um, again, quickly, that um, child's growth chart showed improvement and um, a decrease in growth velocity on the weight for length curve. So I think this points out the, um, the importance and also the, um, the, the rapid feedback that you can get when you make an intervention in a young child. As you said, between one visit and the next, um, making an intervention can really show that uh, slowing of the weight gain and flattening of the curve. And I think for everybody, it's very satisfying to see that they made a healthy change and, uh, and can see the result uh, so quickly. So I think, um, I think that makes it kind of fun when we, we talk about our youngest children. We see them so frequently that we can really see how changes um, improve their uh, weight trajectories. Um, 
you know, we, we also look at weight for length in terms of underweight. And um, I think we're, we're pretty keyed into that. Um, are you seeing m much problem in your practice with underweight or are, do you, um, and do you have an approach for that? Yeah, I think the approach for underweight, um, the process that we take is real similar to when we see an, an acceleration in that growth curve. Um, really kind of taking a step back and asking the family, what does a day in your child's life look like? Who's giving feedings? What types of feedings and beverages is your child consuming? Um, and then we also um, think too about other medical causes that could be contributing to that if it seems like the nutritional intake is, is on track. And so I think it's important for us to remember how important the weight for length is in, in tracking the child's overall health. And that those questions that you ask when you see a decreasing uh, slope or an increasing slope are so important and really encompass not only the child's nutrition activities, but also the rest of, of their health. And I think of one patient I had um, at 18 months old who um, was gaining weight rapidly and uh, turns out had uh, the diagnosis of asthma and uh, would wake up at night crying and then would trigger wheezing and the parents would feed her preemptively to keep her from crying and wheezing and um, prevent a wheezing episode. And this is how they were approaching it. And sort of until we got to the bottom of the intersection of her asthma and her feeding, um, and uh, we didn't understand what was going on. And when we developed different strategies to treat her asthma and to take care of uh, the feeding, we were able to get her back on track. So I think it's important to think about um, the nutrition and activity, but also the overall medical condition of that child and, and the factors that may interact and influence feeding one way or the other. Absolutely, and I think that one thing that we often think about is screening for food insecurity if we see a flattening of that growth curve um, and that maybe their um, they're underweight is making sure that they have access to, to nutritious um, foods. But that I think is also something that um, we are standardly doing in our practices now and that food insecurity and access to healthy food is important um, no matter where that child is on that growth curve. And so I think that for many families, connecting them with resources um, such as WIC that can give them nutritious food um, or programs. In our state, we have Double Up Food Bucks, which allows um, families to get double the benefits with their EBT card um, for fresh, towards fresh fruits and vegetables. And so um, knowing about things that are in our community that can make it easier to offer nutritious foods to our families is really important to be able to offer. You know, Jen, that's, that's always so important to ask about food insecurity and even more important in this time um, when we're, we're under a lot of duress um, with the, the uh, pandemic. So I think that uh, taking care of our families, watching their infant, helping them watch the infant's growth, making sure that they have adequate resources for healthy food are, are so important. So Jen, thank you for um, being here today to talk about uh, weight for length and our and infant uh, growth and feeding. I so appreciate your perspective. 
and it's been a delight to talk to you. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for joining me today in my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Gross about Wait for Lent. Please see the Institute website where we have listed the related resources mentioned in this podcast. Thank you very much. information, resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.